we were angry at God. God didn't withdraw, and he didn't come in guns blazing. He went to the cross, and on the cross, he absorbed our disordered rage without paying back. And he didn't just take our undeserved anger, he also took the anger we deserved without paying back. The gentlest word, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. If you see Jesus Christ taking our disordered rage at infinite cost to himself, he loved the sinner and hated the sin. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we're wrapping up our week-long study as our proverb a day in May. We're looking at the topic of anger. As we continue with our study with Dr. Timothy Keller, we'll break down how ultimately anger is dealt with at the foot of the cross. Stay tuned for that message. But first, we're joined once again by Matt Rhodes as we're talking about missions and world missions, not just local missions, as we think about how to make the kingdom of God expand here on earth. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. How involved are you in missions? I mean, it seems that if we're all given the Great Commission to go into all of the world and to preach the gospel, that we all ought to be involved in, in missions in some way, in some capacity. And, and yet, to be fair, it's not something that we do every single day. It's not something that we think about. In fact, most churches automatically, your donation that you give to your church, your tithe, your offering, a portion of that often goes off to the mission field and it's out of sight, out of mind. Until you have a missions week at your church or, or you have a report with a missionary showing up to be able to talk a little bit about their ministry, uh, we don't keep it in the very forefront of our mind. Well, that's too bad because we've been called to do missions, not only here, but also around the world. Our guest this week has been Matt Rhodes. He's written a book called No Shortcut to Success, a manifesto for modern missions. And Matt, this is a subject that I think is crucial for every believer to be involved in, but you're actually writing in, in, in a context of thinking about missions, foreign missions, to a, a subset of people that are involved in the foreign mission field. The question is, why, uh, why should people that aren't involved actively in missions in a foreign field be concerned or be interested in this book? I, I think that they should be, but why should they be invested and in, interested in a book when they're not themselves going into the foreign field? Well, I think that the the church in America tends to see God's work overseas as something <clears throat> entirely different than the way that he works at home. And so in, in our churches at home, we understand the need for pastoral training. We, we won't appoint someone as a pastor, you know, without ensuring he has years of maturity in the faith. But overseas, we um, we hear stories of you know, explosive movements of people coming to Christ where it's hundreds of thousands of people in just a couple of years. And there's something about us that that can easily think the spirit works differently overseas, right? And so we, and we feel bad doubting these stories or, or asking for verification. And so what we end up doing is we just give more to these, uh, the more pe- that people report numerical success, often the more we give and the more we send missionaries in their direction. And I really think that pastors, you know, need to be empowered to ask questions. Um, How fluent are you in this language? How do you know that these people are mature believers before you appoint them to leadership? What are you doing? And it's, it's intimidating sometimes for pastors because people in, in, in our churches at home will come back and say, well, you didn't leave your country and spent 20 years on the mission field. Who are you to question these people? But, it, but it's the pastor's job. 
And, and I, I think that authority needs to be given back to the church, which often doesn't, just doesn't know what's happening. Mm. I, I think that a lot of New Englanders in particular are thinking the mission field's so big here in this area. I don't think that I have time or energy or resources to focus on what's happening around the world. I mean, we are living in a mission field, and, and, and I would herald that concern. We, we are in, in New England. Uh, in a community where 50 counties are under 3% evangelical, right here on Cape Cod, it's uh, it's just around 2% evangelical. Uh, this is a mission field, and yet there is a call, and I want to inspire our listeners as well as my own church to think globally about missions, because there are places that, that are completely unreached for the gospel. And I think you would agree, and you could probably say it better than I do, that focusing on the Great Commission in, in the world really helps us see how we do ministry here. Yeah, I, you know, Jesus talks about, well, he, he's, he talks about going to, to all the nations, and ultimately he wants his kingdom to, his, to expand throughout all the earth. And I, I do think there's, there's, you know, we don't want to neglect evangelism at home. Um, I, I do think it's a fundamentally different situation in some ways, the, the certain overseas mission fields, um, because... You know, two percent is a lot better than zero percent, mm-hmm. and even even those two percent, they have to interact with Christians as a part of their public life. There are Christians voting too. There are Christians, you know, who are who they're working with. Um, a lot of their language and culture does flow out of biblical sources, and so I, I think there is a difference in 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 what's going on overseas and it's something the church has to respond to without without neglecting the real needs that are forming at home because a a two percent christian population when you look at new england's history that is really dark we've been talking with we've been talking with matt rhodes about his book no shortcut to success a manifesto for modern missions you can find out more information about the book by giving us a call it's 508-362-7070 and of course, uh, Matt, I can't thank you enough for writing this book, but also having this conversation and uh, helping us especially see how, how God is doing great things for the kingdom of God, elevating the work of God and the work of Christ and uh, what he's doing in his kingdom, inspiring us. I hope that many of our listeners will be inspired to do great things with their life and be bold in proclaiming their faith and living it out and even going into the mission field to serve that kingdom. So thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Thank you for having me on. Again, if you would like to find out more information about Matt Rhodes and his book, give us a call 508-362-7070 or head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today we're wrapping up our week-long study on the subject of anger. Not the most popular topic, I'm sure, but one that we ought to understand, especially as we continue our series, A Proverb a Day in May. This is a prominent theme as we're considering how to address our emotions in the the realm of, of reality and to be wise and discerning. So often we approach our emotions as though they are controlling us, but the biblical mindset, the biblical model, is to bring our emotions into subjection, to actually control our emotions so that we might respond appropriately. In this message, Dr. Timothy Keller points us to the conclusion of this really great series, thinking about how anger is dealt with. How does God deal with his anger? And how do we learn from that, especially when it comes to processing our own emotions? Here is Timothy Keller. 
This is not just saying, don't revenge yourself on your enemies. This is saying, save your enemies. I mean, you know, food and drink, these are things you can't live without. Redeem your enemies. Now, how is that possible? Well, here's how it's possible. Let me tell you a story, or let me give you an illustration. Uh, The real changes in your life don't happen when you get married. They happen when you have children. My wife often said that if you're married but you haven't had children yet, it's really just like being on a long date. Because the real changes come. Your life doesn't really go into the toilet until you have children. Because that's when, even if you don't want to, you know, even if you're really not trying, even if you're a bad parent, a mediocre parent, it doesn't matter. It's sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. You don't do three-quarters of the things you used to be able to do that you really like doing. I mean, everything revolves around the kid and the kids. And you make all these sacrifices. And at some point, the kid becomes a teenager. And you cross the kid's will... You just ask them not to do something that everyone else in the whole world knows is self-destructive and stupid. And the child turns on you and says something like this. You don't love me. You hate me, and I hate you. You have ruined my life. I hate you. I hate you. You've never done anything for me. Now, when that happens, there is, there is nothing more painful than that. Because, you know, even if you've been a bad parent, you, know, you haven't done anything for me. You know, you know, even if you didn't want to do everything in the world for your child, if you have a child, you end up doing it. You sacrifice. And have somebody that you have done more for, you, you sacrifice far more for a kid, frankly, than you do for your spouse. The one person that you have sacrificed and sacrificed to look at you in the eye and say, you hate me, I hate you, you've never done anything for me, that goes right into your heart. You know why? That is the most unjustified, disproportionate, disordered rage possible. And it hurts like crazy. And because it hurts so deeply, there's a huge test at this point for the parent. There's only three things you can do. The first thing you can do is to withdraw. Just say, I'm going to stay away. Because it just hurts too much, and it does. I just can't take their anger. I can't take it. You withdraw. You give it up to their self-destructive impulses, and you've lost your kid. So you can withdraw and not take the anger. Or the other way you can deal with it, because it's very painful, you withdraw. The other way you can avoid experiencing their anger is you go in with guns blazing. You see, they rage at you, you rage at them. Harsh word, not gentle, harsh word. And because, you know, you have 30 years or so on them of, uh, of practice at verbal abuse, you'll probably win. <laughs> you'll probably win. They call you something, you call them. They hate you, I hate you too. You know, you just, and so that's another way to, that's another way to keep from the, the pain of the, of the dis, disordered rage. But in that case, of course, you still lost. The evil is winning. You're becoming hard. You're becoming cold. You're alienating them. There's only a th- the hardest thing to do, and the only way to save your child is to do a surgical strike. If you stay away from them, their, idi- their idiocy takes them over, right? If you go at them and just blaze away, then you both become idiots. But the way to do a surgical strike, the way to target, not the person, but the problem, not the person, not the idiot, but the idiocy, is you have to come in close and say, I'm going to insist gently on the truth. This is the way it is. This is what I'm going to tell you. This is how I'm going to... You have to come close. You have to insist on the truth. And you have to just absorb their anger without paying back. And if you do that, if you don't withdraw, you don't come in with guns blazing, but you just say very calmly, insisting on the truth, very gently insisting on the truth, this is how it's going to be. I know you're angry. I know you're upset. But this is just what we're going to do. And this is how it's going to be. And if you, if you just absorb the pain of their disordered rage without paying back, you can save your child. In fact, this happens all the time. Parents who cannot take the rage of their disordered rage of their children are not fit to be parents. One way to avoid it is to withdraw. One way to avoid it is to give it back. Both ways 
You're not, but if you want a surgical strike on the idiocy and to really save your child and your relationship, you have to come close and absorb the rage without paying back. You can be mad, mad at the idiot in the kid. It's the only way to save the kid. Now, do you realize what God has done? We are mad at him. You don't want to admit you're mad at God, but that's right because people in, in anger always deny it. We want this and we want that and we wanted this and we want that and God hasn't given it to us and we are mad. We're in denial, but the proof that we are mad at him, and it's the most unjustified, the most disordered, the most hurtful possible rage, but the proof that it's there was that when God became human, when he became vulnerable, when he became killable, we killed him. When he got within our clutches, we, we took hold of him. We took him to the cross and we mocked him. You say you're a king. You want to be a, you're going to be our king? We mocked him. We beat him. We tortured him. We reviled, and he did not revile again. What was he doing? He, see, we were angry at God. God didn't withdraw, and he didn't come in guns blazing. He went to the cross, and on the cross, he absorbed our disordered rage without paying back. And he didn't just take our undeserved anger. He also took the anger we deserved without paying back. The gentlest word, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you see Jesus Christ taking our disordered rage at infinite cost to himself, then you see the ultimate surgical strike. The ultimate surgical strike. He loved the sinner and hated the sin. He forgave our sin so he could embrace the sinner. The ultimate surgical strike. And if you are melted by the knowledge, stunned into silence by how he responded to our disordered rage, then when other people wrong you, you can do the same. You can say, hey, I've been wronged but I wronged God, and at infinite cost, he responded with cosmic gentleness, and I can't do anything other than that. When you experience the ultimate surgical strike, loving the sinner and hating the sin, then you're going to be free to turn around and do it yourself. Your ego is changed. You know, the ego needs aren't there when you have the love of God. If you see Jesus absorbing our disordered love and just responding with cosmic gentleness, that will empower you to go out into this dog-eat-dog world filled with anger. What a culture of anger we've got. Where you too can hate sin and love the sinner. You're freed to do it because he did it to you. And then you will be an agent for redemptive gentleness in this world. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, that anger is something that you handled so beautifully, so perfectly. In a surgical strike, you destroyed sin without destroying sinners. And you free us from our own disordered anger. You free us from responding to others in anger. You free us to be like you, slow in anger, angry at the right things, angry at the, in the right ways. Oh, Lord, we aren't very close to all this. This is wonderful. We're outlining it all, but we are not wise. Make us wise. Make us wise. Give us what we need in order to be like your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our proverb of the day for May today is Proverbs chapter 20. And although there are a lot of really great Proverbs I could choose from, sticking with the same theme that we're discussing on the subject of, of anger, I've chosen Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Uh, for those of you who were listening yesterday, that's the sort of verse my mom would always use to uh, confront me whenever I was looking for justice or punishment for my sisters who might have done something wrong against me. The, this verse and its wisdom and its instruction reminds us to consider what, what God has done for us. Uh, he makes sure that every evil will be judged. Every single evil in the world will be paid for. But for you 
And for me, for those of us who have faith in God, who have put our our trust in the work of Jesus Christ and, and called on the name of the Lord, he is our Savior. Uh, for us who are Christians, our payment has already been made by Jesus Christ. So our seeking justice, our seeking punishment, what we want is our our own pound of flesh, what we are ultimately saying is that our kingdom matters more than God's kingdom. Our rights matter more than God's rights. And if he has already dealt with, what else do we have to do in this regard? When I think about this, I, I realize, as Dr. Keller was talking this week, that it's really a, a, a mismanagement of our loves. We have loved things out of order. And not only that, we, have, we want a disordered fear. We want to be feared more than we want others to fear God. And when we are demanding justice here, what are we communicating? This whole this whole month, our theme verse is Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What are we communicating to the next generation, to those who come behind us, when we are spending our energy defending our rights, defending our freedoms, defending our justices in this world? Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't care for those those laws and those rules and, and what's happening in the public, but if we expend all of our energy fighting for castles in the sand that will wash away when the tide comes and not expending our energy in the kingdom of God, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then what are we communicating to the next generation? We're telling them that our kingdom is more important than God's kingdom, and then they will go on to fight for their kingdom over God's kingdom. This is where we fall short. We must wait for the Lord, as it says here in Proverbs 20, 22. He will deliver us. Are we looking to the hills from where our help comes from? Or are we looking to the hills, the, the hills to die on that we've created for ourselves? And in that case, we will lose. Something to think about and so hopefully something to encourage you as you continue to read through your proverb a day in May. We'd love to hear from you what verses, and especially for today, that struck out uh, to you, stuck out to you. You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call, 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, uh, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Proverbs 22.6. I've already said it, but here it is again. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. <laughs>